Welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. I'm joined today by my good mate, Gavin Webster. How are you, Gavin? I'm very well, thanks, Steve. Good to have you on, mate. Uh, top comic in the Northeast and uh, also involved in Heaton Stan, uh, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, another good non-league club. I put me Dunstan top on uh, just so I can uh, you know, have a big crack about that. But um, first and foremost, Gavin, you're a Newcastle fan like myself. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you, how you, you know, got into supporting Newcastle. What was your first game? Um, well, my family all support Newcastle. I was brought up in uh, Bladen on the team, which obviously has got links with the with the song, of course. Um, uh, my mother was a big Newcastle fan. My granddad was a big Newcastle fan. Uh, he went to the uh, 1932 FA Cup final. Uh, wow. Which is, um, yeah, it's, it's it, you know, not many people have got them links now. Well, certainly they don't remember that, but he told us all about it. And that's a famous um, over-the-line final where the ball got squared back to where uh, it was Jack Allen who scored it. And it was, uh, the ball was, I think it was over the line. You know, there's a, there's yeah. a, there's a um, film footage freezed and uh, Richardson pulls it back. Yeah, and all these things. Um, Didn't need VAR for that. <laughs> yeah, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessary. I've, I've got some great footage um I mean, it's it's out there on social media, but it was on the BBC of mm. uh, a Geordie arguing with an Arsenal fan in 1952. Yeah, we won the cup there uh, in 52, and uh, and they were arguing. And this Geordie, I think he's a bit of a sort of bashing or some Pitiacker accent, and he's arguing with this Arsenal fan, and he's saying about the ball definitely being not over the lane um, in 1932, and it's um, he's having this big row with his company, and uh, yeah, that was. Uh, um, that was a famous final, as you know, and my granddad was uh, was at that game. Uh, uh, I don't know of anybody else that was. Um, no. Have you got the ticket or anything, or the programme? No, I haven't. I, yeah, when I knew my granddad, I mean, he died in the 80s, like, but he, as a kid, he, he said he had loads of programmes, but he just threw them out. Yeah. But a lot of that generation did, didn't they? You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so, so obviously it's in the family. Can you remember what your first game was as a fan? Yeah, I do. Um, well, I went to loads of reserve games first in sort of um, when we were still in the first division in 76, 77, 78. But my first first team game, because they wouldn't, at the time there was loads of hooliganism, you know, so the, me, me yeah. mum wouldn't let, let us go to games. But um, the first game I went to with my dad was against Bristol Rovers in 1979, towards the end of the 78, 79 season. And we won. 3-0, but we weren't we weren't going anywhere. It was um you know we were gonna finish mid table in the would first season back down in the in the old second division and we finished mid table in uh, yeah it was three nil. Peter With scored the first goal with a header. Wow. And what was your first impression of the of the match day experience? Because sometimes it's a bit foreboding and you know the noise and the, the sounds and all that, but did you enjoy it? Yeah, there wasn't that many there. It's because back in them days, as you know, um, there was no like season ticket holders as such, like on mass, like there is now. Yeah. I mean, I heard a quote from Malcolm McDonald saying in the early seventies Newcastle had fifteen hundred season ticket holders, and I can imagine by late seventy, seventy eight, seventy nine, I bet you there was maybe twice that, no more. Yeah. You know, like there'd be very few. So, um, what happened was at the end of a season when it looked like we weren't going to go anywhere. The, the the crowds would just drop off, and that's where you get Steve, as you know. I bet you suffer from this. Fans pick cherry picking one game out 
from the late 70s, early 80s, and going, oh, yeah, that's, you, you think you're the best supporters in the land. You used to get, you know, 11,000 every week back in the, and you go, no, we didn't. We had that for one game at the end of a season. And yeah. if you look at the averages, it's a lot higher. And, and that's the nature of what fans did then. You didn't have, unless you are going for a relegation or a promotion scrap, what's the point? Even if, even if you're a, um, you know, a, a, a hardened, loyal supporter, when, it, when the season's petering out and going nowhere, there's no point in really going. Um, so, that, so there wasn't many there. Uh, what I remember was it was very, very colourful because back in them days, we still had a black and white telly. And um, most people I knew did as well. I had the odd person on a colour telly, but like, um, it's quite, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, it's quite a great time in the 70s as well, you know, there's not much. Was I? <laughs> and um, the, uh, to go there to see the green beers, you know, to see the green pitch and presume Bristol Rovers would have been in that half blue and white thing. And, you know, Newcastle yeah, proper old strips. <laughs> yeah, exactly, old school. Um, and just the colour is, is quite an amazing thing, isn't it? And then, and then you go to a first big match and that's perhaps a bit better. But I just think the whole, the, 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 it's, it's, it's an amazing experience, I think, even today to go to a, it's a great spectacle of football match, even, a relatively low down one, isn't it? Because it's so yeah. expansive and big a football ground, you know. First, first hero then. Who was your first hero? Because I mean, going that early, I suppose you you just timed it right because you were you were coming towards Keegan's Keegan being unveiled as the as the big marquee signing in '82. Where in heaven where we've got Kevin and all that. Yeah, I remember that. And um, well, I suppose the first one before I went the game because I'm I'm just a bit too young for. Malcolm McDonald. I, I, I mean, I remember him, uh, and I remember he, when he left. But I was only a kid. But the, but funnily enough, uh, sort of default centre forward was Mickey Burns because uh, he was originally a winger. And then he got converted to a centre forward, um, and he scored loads of goals. And, and we we nearly won the league in 1977. People forget that uh, yeah. finished fifth and just just lost four of the last five or something. So he was, I remember people talking about Mickey Burns and wanted to be him in the in the, in, in the playground, and then. Um, uh, and then we got relegated, but he still he still finished top scorer. But uh, so Mickey Burns was the first, but I never saw him live. And so the first one I remember as a big hero was then Peter With, because we signed Peter With, and he just played for Nottingham Forest when they won the league. But he got signed by Newcastle. I found out years later he got a massive signing on fee, and uh, you know it was like I think they're trying to placate the the supporters who were proper pissed off at the team because we'd gone down, we'd lost half the team. So they needed a big, as you say, like a marquee signing, but obviously it didn't work out like Keegan, but he was the big signing. And um, I still, to this day, think Peter Withs, maybe not the best centre-forward we've had, because we've you know, obviously seen Shearer, but definitely in the top five, Peter Withs, he was a terrific uh, centre-forward. And he we used to play up front, obviously, with, with Alan Shoulder, who was a signing from non-league, which yeah. is like, you know, from the sublime to the ridiculous. And uh, they were they were like the the... the the twin strike force, so they'd probably be my first heroes as such. Yeah, I mean, funny enough, I know you've watched it. We had David Ike on the other day, and he was talking about Keegan's debut. Were you lucky enough to go to that, or was that a game where you know you you just missed out because I can imagine tickets being at a premium for that game? Didn't get to that one. I was on holiday in Wales. Oh, it was just ironic because I'd seen, you know, I'd seen two couple. I'd been watching all that 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 season of total width and shoulder, two seasons of that, and then. And then when Arthur Cox took over in 80, 80, 81, 81, 82, we were going nowhere and I saw some awful matches. And I mean, <coughs> awful games back then. 
nil nils, loads of nil nils, and uh, I think it was the lowest we ever were. And then obviously Kevin Keegan came quite quite late, I think, in the in the close season. Yeah, it was quite a weird thing. And um, we uh, was on holiday in Wales, and I'll tell you exactly where I was that day. I was watching um, Cardiff against Wrexham in the uh, what was the third division, watch League One now. Yeah, two uh, one to Wrexham. I remember it well. And there was about four thousand there at Ninian Park, and and it was just horrible. Going back in the car, there's me fella's car, and I was in the, in the car and like listening to sports report, and I'm going. They never stopped going on about Keegan. I mean, the 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 reaction to it and the coverage to it in elsewhere. This is South Wales was phenomenal. It was all over the news, and then on you know, I think it was a match of the day that night. It was like huge, but uh, yeah, I missed out on the bloody thing. Uh, I mean, did you get the many games that season, that, um, the, yeah. the following season, the promotion season? Yeah, never missed a home game in 83-84. Oh, the... fantastic. I'm so jealous because my, my first Newcastle games, of course, were the back end of that season, you know. I, I managed right. to get to the... I got to, yeah, I, I'd been to a lot of games with my granddad as a referee assessor. I'd actually been to watch Gateshead play um, in the Northern Premier League for two seasons and I'd seen... You know, every cloud's got a silver line, and I got a chance to see Terry Hibbert play for two yeah, full Yeah, I've been at games as well, Steve. Yeah, I went to them Aye. games. Um, Bob, Bob Toppin up front as well. Bob Toppin, Steve Holbrook playing up front. But um, what a team! They're a great team, and, and if you remember, uh, that's great that you mentioned that because um, uh, Terry Hibbert at the time, because obviously he had a knee injury, and then he, he went. I remember him at Newcastle before that, in the, in the second spell, not the first one. But then he went to Gateshead. But if you remember, he was like Zinedine Zidane, wasn't he? He was like spraying <laughs> glasses everywhere, and he was—it was phenomenal. And it was almost a lesson to a young lad about like uh, about how to look like you've got time on the ball and 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 his range of passes. He was going short, he was going long, and he was he was phenomenal. And he he drove the team as as far as I'm aware. I could be wrong here, mm-hmm. but I think they might have been the first team since because it was three points for a win. I think they might have been the first team in this country to get a hundred over a hundred points. I think it was right when when they won the Northern Premier League. I think I think you're right. Um, I found actually found um, some some old programs and uh, and a couple of old photographs from the old wind on camera that you used to have before. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, kids sir. before mobiles, kids. But yeah, mm-hmm. the, the 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 old wind on camera and I took uh, some photographs of them being presented with a trophy at the stadium and fa- fascinating. Just a couple of grainy images of Terry uh, Terry Hibbert and Bob Toppin holding it up. Great great days. And of course, I was lucky enough that season. I'm, Pretty sure you probably would have gone to this game. Then uh, Newcastle, of course, sent a team along to play uh, Gateshead at the stadium, a bit of a fundraiser. And I think it was the, the either the back end of that season. I think it was. I think Newcastle won seven one. I think Kenny Wharton got four um, wow. in that game, and or three, he might have got three. But the highlight of it was for me was I thought my dad was best pals with David McCreary because as as you do, you want to as a kid you want to stand outside the dressing room and try and get some autographs and. That's what I did at Gateshead. And, uh, you know, the players came out, Waddler, Beardsley, and all signed me program. And then David McCreary comes out and he looks up and he goes, all right, John, and then signs me program. Well, of course, my dad's name's John. So he goes back in. So for years, I thought my dad knew David McCreary. And it was it was over a pint pre-match one one year recently that I'd said to my dad, I said, hi, it's funny, you know, I've got to know David McCreary. How did you know him, dad? You know, and I, I like, recited that story. He says, oh, I didn't know him. He says, that's what Irish people say when they don't know your name. I was like, oh. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, you, you're right, John. I, I was like, oh. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, I, I didn't know where I was expecting it to go that he pre thought of that. I, 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 didn't, I, oh. I, I didn't know that people did that. 
absolute, absolute classic. Like, like, but never mind. It shattered me. Shattered me illusions. My dad didn't actually know David McCreary. I'm probably probably sure that I've asked David McCreary the story if he knew me dad, and he probably politely said yes. But there we go. Is it a bit like how people around here say, "All right, Geordie sometimes when the title yeah. people on a Hilton site or something like that"? Yeah. Ah, uh, exactly, exactly. So, so obviously that season was fantastic. You know, promotion, and um, you know, we're, we've got to touch a little bit on Big Jack because obviously we've just lost him. Um, he, yeah. he came in, and uh, that was my that was probably my first season as a as a Newcastle fan when I was sneaking away. My dad still didn't want us to go to the games because of the hooliganism element, but I, I sneaked off and managed to get to a few games. Big Jack really, you know, great, great character. Didn't quite hit it off with the Newcastle fans, though, did he? No, it didn't. It didn't work out, and um, it was. Uh, I think it was the, by the sounds of it, was just because of the culture clash with the football he was, he was playing. It's a, it's a weird one though, isn't it? Because if you look back in Newcastle's history, um, you know, I didn't want to sound controversial here, but we've got like a monument, um, up a statue. Up to Bobby Robson, yeah. And in in reality, let's look at it um, like uh, objectively. He, he finished. He, he had a couple of seasons not going anywhere. Then he finished fourth, third, and fifth. And it's good. And he's a good eight out of ten manager. But you could argue that like Jack Charlton came in a season just steadied the boat. Gordon Lee came in the in the seventies, and even though he's hated for selling McDonald. He got to a League Cup final and then he got the fashioned a team that were right up in the top five, even though he left, he was only there 18 months. But in terms of games, he did all right. It, it's like um it's weird how we who we I don't know, not canonize maybe and who we don't because because of maybe the football they play. I don't know. Um or whether because as a club We've got such arbitrary levels of success. We've had so many years where there's nothing, then we suddenly get a load, almost too much, and then we, um, we have, you know, we, we I mean, we're of a similar generation. Mm-hmm. Where I think we're we're perhaps more accepting of some managers than than maybe people ten years younger than us because they they don't need known success. Then you've got youngins now who've not seen anything good, yeah. And then you've got people generations above us that might have a different level of patience towards a, towards a manager. Than others because it depends what era you've been going in. Um, but Jack Charlton, in my view, I think might have fashioned a really good, effective winning team if he'd been allowed to, if people weren't barracking him and wanted rid of him. But um, whether people would have enjoyed it or not, I don't know because you, you know the football he was he was putting on offer was was a long, big diagonal ball game, wasn't it? Yeah. You can't really deny that, you know, by the signings he made. It's funny, we were talking last night on, on Ladies Night just about the best and worst managers. And you're right, yeah. And I, I mean, Bobby Robson does get, you know, put on a pedestal Purely because probably what he did, you know, he turned Shearer's career back round. He, you know, he did. He got us to the semi-finals of the cup. But you're right, there has been a degree of success, and it, it, it's funny how people how people measure that. I think we all agree Kevin Keegan's spell at the club, not just as a player, but then as a manager, was 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 massively successful as far as you know putting the club on the map. It might not have been I, successful I in the trophy it. cabinet. Yeah, well, exactly. He didn't win anything, but I, I think Keegan saved us not once but twice as a player and a manager. And I think. Um, you know, it, 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 that can't be, um, you wouldn't be exaggerating when you say that we were completely on our arse in 82 and in 90, 92, I think. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, by the sounds of it, in 62, um, uh, Joe Harvey came, apparently we were 
completely without a paddle in, you know, we, we, we were in a bad way. But when Bobby Robson arrived, people say, look at the state we were in when he arrived. We were bottom of the table after losing a few games, which we would have stayed up. It's not, you know, it's not, uh, I think there's a couple of people rewriting history there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kevin Keegan, Kevin Keegan's spell as a manager, um, you know, that's, I, 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 that's what puts him at the top of the tree for me. Um, yeah. I always feel he, you know, he, he, he gave me the best football that I've ever seen as a fan. And, yeah. you, know, he, you know, not only that, but, you know, he doesn't get enough credit for, for keeping us up. You know, he kept us up that oh, season yeah. when, when it looked like Mission Impossible. We were on our way to the third division. Um, and then, then to assemble a team. To, to bring in a young Andy Cole, who I've got to remember, mm-hmm. everyone was scratching their heads going, Andy Cole, what you know, what mm-hmm. are you bringing him in for? Mm-hmm. Failed at Arsenal, dodgy signing. He yeah. goes on to beat Huey Gallagher's record, um, yeah. obviously with the help of Peter Beardsley, who was a yeah. master stroke signing. Um, and then establishes us in the Premier League, not, not just establishes in the Premier League, but, but puts us up there fighting with Man United for titles. Yeah, absolutely. And then it, it, you know, again, another stat, I think I could, could be wrong here, but as far as I'm aware, Kevin Keegan never sold any player as a loss. Every single one got sold on as a profit. And, you know, people, you know, talk about, again, people say, oh, look at the money he had. He he, he bought £60 million worth of players and they won nothing. But, like, he sold £30 And if you you remember, Steve, like, when we, when we, when he became manager, when we had our ZR dealers as manager, People were saying, well, how are we going to get out of this? We're nearly bankrupt. The, the only saleable asset we've got is Kevin Scott. I remember people saying that. And uh, it said, you'll only get half a million for him. And like when you think, you know, there's no disrespect to Kevin Scott. He did a great job at Newcastle. But like it, the fact that he was like allegedly were only saleable asset to, to the fact that like the, the, the side that got assembled in the next two, three, four, and then five years from Kevin Keegan from nothing. Um, the idea that we were the Chelsea or the Man City were teams nonsense. We we still had signings. We had we had loan signings and free signings at first, and um, you know the hoo ha that John Hall kicked uh, uh, went off with when we signed Brian Kilclain for half a million was was uh, was you know everybody knew about that, and um, the signings were gradually built up. I think Andy Cole was only one point eight or something. He wasn't yeah, massive signing. And Peter Beardsley was bought when people said he was finished. He was 32 or something. And uh, so they were inspiring signings, you know. Um, he, Venison, I think, was to do with all the connections Terry McDermott had at Liverpool. Beresford, although it was a lot of money, was like, again, untried at the top level. Inspiring signings, you know, the whole lot. Of... Scott Sellers, Kevin Sheedy. Yeah. You know, wow. some great, great players that were hard. Yeah. I mean, Kill Klein often gets mentioned as the the best pound-for-pound pound signing, but I think Rob Lee probably gets that title, doesn't he? Yeah. What, a, what a player. Oh, tremendous. And, and, you know, that's why people like Kevin Keegan or who they are uh, and people like me aren't, because I remember when Rob Lee came and he played against Middlesbrough in the League Cup, and I remember watching him going, he's not a great player, this bloke. He's, he's just, he, he seems a bit one-paced and he doesn't seem as though he's got, like, a burst, you know, he's not got... Mm-hmm. And he turned out to be, like, perhaps one of the best signings we ever made because he could see something and he could see... Where he could fit in in the in the grand scheme of things, he was going to be running everything from the middle of midfield and uh, perfect fit as well for this club. Um, and uh, and and that's why I think Kevin Keegan can do no wrong in my eyes as a manager. Like, you know. Would he be your best manager then that you've that you've had at the club in your time? Do you think? Easily, yeah. Easily, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would say who's your worst then? The worst, right? Since the I've worst been manager. Um. 
well, when I was first there, the, Bill McGarry was pretty bad. Um, but obviously, I was a kid then. But you look back, it wasn't much of a side. But I think I think I don't think there was any money getting thrown at the club then. So I'd say in in more recent times, um, God, there's quite a choice here, isn't there? Um, there's a few names got bandied around when we did this with the girls. I mean, my my top my top three for the worst managers was Joe Kinnear had to go mm-hmm. top statistically. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Steve McLaren, yes, and Sam Allardyce. That was yeah, my top. Think, that was that was my top three. I was going to mention Allardyce there. That was the one that came to mind, but then I forgot about Steve McLaren, and that was pretty bad. He had he had a bit of money thrown at him as well. Um, yes. Sooners was bloody awful as well. Yes, yeah, Sunus was pretty awful. He really was, and um, I can't, you can't even even if, if you if you were like paid to defend Sunus, it would be very difficult to do it, wouldn't it? Yeah, I mean, Rude Hullet for, for simply for not giving Rob Lee a squad number. Um, but that, yeah, taking training in a deck chair and then you know, not being here most of the time. Um, yeah, and you know, doing, I, doing things through bloody mindedness. Not only the incident against Sunderland where he played Paul Robinson up top on his own. And dropped Shearer and Duncan Ferguson, but he played Stephen Glass, and um, he, I almost think he did things just to just to piss people off, you know. And I think when you start doing that as a manager, nah, I've got no team for you, you know. No yeah. matter who you. I mean, Steve, Steve Bruce, obviously the current manager. What's what's your views on him? I don't think he's particularly bad. I always quite liked him as a manager. Um, I don't know about. I don't, I don't know what he's like personally. I don't know what he's like um, the way he operates uh, with people. But as a manager, I think you can't argue with what he's like in the championship. And he's a good. He's had. He's he's got not a bad CV, and he's 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 um, he's uh, managed at a lot of clubs. And I think uh, he could go in, in most clubs, and he could just take up the reins, couldn't he? Because he knows what he's doing. Um, but as far as the top level goes, and as far as what Newcastle United want, no, nah, he's not the man. No, definitely not. I would. You're not going to get any arguments off me, or, or I would doubt of anybody watching on that. What's mm. um, what's the most memorable game for you then, as a Newcastle fan that you've been to? Um, the most memorable game. Uh, the well, there's a few. I remember um, in the season we got promoted in '83, '84, we were playing Fulham and it was around about Bonfire night and we were um two one down. Malcolm McDonald would be manager of Fulham then. We were two one down with about two minutes to go. Then we got an equaliser and then I think it was Kenny Wharton got the winner and we won three two. It was a brilliant game. And then at the end just when everybody was going mental, loads of um you know bangers and rocket launchers went up in the sky. It's almost like um celebrating the win. That's one of them. And then there's the then they're about 1990, uh, the season, first season we had Mickey Quinn and Mark McGee, we played at home to Leicester and it was um, Roy Aitken's debut and we came back from, I think it was 4-2 down, I think we went one up, oh, I can't remember exactly, we yeah. were 4-2 down and we won 5-4. What a and game that was. Great game, wasn't it? And I remember taking my dad to that one, he, you know, long since not been going to games, I took him and says, do you want to go to the match? And Because um, uh, I was playing football at the time, I think you got postponed so I went with my dad and um I was I was up alongside the um the almost the touch lane it was in the Gallagher end when McGee scored them and from what I remember and I'm sure this can be verified on YouTube the equaliser and the winner are 
almost carbon copies of goals. He gets the ball back to goal. He turns. As you, if you can remember, Mark McGee was very quick at turning. He's really yeah. good at, at, at swiveling in a very small grid square space. You know, he, I think with him being little, but like as good as Beardsley, I think at that. You know, uh, he was terrific. Um, uh, and as you know, he had no pace, but that's what he could do. And he turned both times, and and, and I think. Fired shots in the court. I think with the side of his foot because he was quite good with the side of his foot rather than like thumping the leather off it, you know. Um, uh, and both goals are exactly the same. Amazing. But what a great game that was. Do you remember um, Mark McGee's goal against Bradford that season? It was a dire game, but it was the last minute and he jinxed past about six or seven players. Yeah, Bradford yeah. had the white strip on and he just yeah. slotted it in. That was probably one of the goals of the season. Great goal. He was, he was great at that, wasn't he? He was like, um, he had this terrific knack of um, dribbling past people and you know he had a he, he, he was he was a good team player as well you know well, well with Mickey Quinn he was terrific I think do you know if he had if he had some sort of pace I really think he might have been right up there world class you know but he, he was a bit bit slow wasn't he but he was a terrific player like it it's a shame we got him right at the end of his career and right at the beginning of his career his best years were in the middle weren't they and it was um is it, yeah, I think it's a trivia question. Newcastle, only Newcastle player that played in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Yeah. That's a great one, yeah. I mean, it's one of them. He, he, I remember him coming. There was like a bit of a groan from from older supporters, you know, remembering you know what he'd been like, and then uh, you know he certainly came back and and, and put the record straight. That was a fact, you know, for, for all that we got beat by Sunderland in the playoffs, um, mm. you know, that that was a fantastic season. That was probably. Yeah. You know, it was we didn't get promoted, but you know, it was one of those where you look back with fond memories. And Quinny, Quinny for a number nine was just outstanding. He got off to such a great start against Leeds and never looked yeah. back. Yeah. Oh, and the, the, we, um, you know, I think Jim Smith was was a decent manager. I think I think um, we um, we uh, were the best football inside in the league. I think I'd mm. say. And we just used to give away late goals. If, if you remember, we just used to, for some reason, give away late goals. And, you know, if we didn't have that, we'd be we'd be away playing sailing because, as you say, Quinn scored a hell of a lot of goals and McGee scored a load of goals as well. And uh, we just seem to have this good unit. You know, Kevin Brock was a great player at that time. You know, he's a proper good footballer, and uh, it all seemed to work. But as you know, we're typical Newcastle, we fell at the final hurdle, things didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, history's littered with <laughs> with stuff like that. Um, I'm going to bring in the dreaded T word now, the takeover. Um, you know, it couldn't have come at a worse time, could it? Really, everybody locked down, a pandemic. Everyone, you know, people losing their jobs, people losing loved ones, and then, you know, typical of our luck, we get a takeover, slap bang in the middle of it, which you know could potentially make us the richest club, not just in the UK but in the world. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's again our timing, isn't it? Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm sure you probably know more than me, but uh, <laughs> I had a feeling it was going to. I had a feeling something was going to go wrong, and uh, it certainly did, didn't it? Mike Ashley obviously owns the club at the minute. I suppose the one positive we can take out of it is that he is keen to sell it. I mean, he's, he's currently trying to buy the high streets. You know, he's bought DW Sports over the last 24 hours. And, you know, he, he, his main aim seems to be domineering, you know, retail, uh, you know, retail and, and especially in the sports market. But, you know, he wants to sell the club, which is what Newcastle fans, the majority of Newcastle fans have wanted. Yeah, but he, to be honest though, Steve, he's been saying this since season number one, hasn't he? He, he, want, he wanted rid of the club. He's always been saying he wants to sell and then 
and then you hear that he doesn't want to sell and um you know he's his PR face is is that I think part of the times it comes from his PR people, but then other times it comes from him because it sounds a bit knee jerk sometimes. But he's he's always been saying that he wants to sell, but there's no well, it still hasn't happened yet, has it? No, definitely not. Well, we'll just case of watch this space. Hopefully, you know something will develop. Uh, you know, I'm still confident that it will it will happen. But you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Let's talk a little bit about you know what you do for a living. Um, obviously, you'll have been affected with with you know what's going on the pandemic and COVID. Just like me, obviously, I do events. You you know you put on a, a hell of a lot of events. You're on the circuit as well. But how did you become a, a comedian? Um, I was. Uh... A friend of mine um, called Les, Eric Scarborough, was a, um, a, he decided to do some stand-up comedy and he wanted me to be his double act partner. And I said, I'm not interested in that. I've got no, I'm, I'm not a funny man. I'm not, I've got no interest in doing stand-up comedy. So he persuaded me to do it. This is at the Cumberland Arms in Baker in 1992, a sort of new talent night for alternative comedians as was as was at the t- as at the time mm-hmm. um and uh, and then he said right we're open our own club we're open in gateshead at the barley moor which isn't there now um just at the bottom of the high street uh, next to the the dual carriageway and uh, he says we're going to start that and it's going to be called reckless eric's um oh, i remember that yeah spelled differently the to to the, the stiff artist but uh, yeah he started that off in um February of 1992, and that's when I first got up on stage on my own. But because we were, we're a double act, he called it Scarborough and Thick, as in Morgan and Wise. So he was right. Scarborough and I was Thick. So I went up on stage as Little Ernie Thick, which just, I was never comfortable with that. Um, and that's when I first did a gig, February 20, 1992. And uh, still didn't want to do it, but then uh, gradually did a couple more. Then he drifted off. He didn't want to do it anymore. Uh, you know, something happened, you know, domestic upheavals or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, so I carried on running this this club. Even though How did that thing. first night go? How did that first night go then? Were you nervous and, and, and was it a success? The double act stuff was like weird because he just gave me all the lanes. So um, it wasn't funny looking back. He just gave me, he gave me all the lanes. Typical straight man lanes like Steve. You know, like straight man lanes like uh, my lanes. What, really? Did you? When? When did that happen? Why? Really? God, a mouse. It was all that kind of like, yeah. his, his punch lanes, but that was awful. But then when I first got up in Gateshead, he, he gave us three jokes to do, three bits of material he'd written, and it didn't go so bad. But then I thought, this is rubbish, this. Going on a name that isn't my name. I don't really want to do it. And, um, and somebody's given us some material to do. So the next month, I did my own stuff, and it wasn't very good. Um, so the first one wasn't bad. I was really nervous, yes, to answer your question. Yeah. But the next month, I did it on my own. And then... It wasn't good, but it was mine. And then I went back to me real name. Uh, and um, and then, you know, then, then you build it up from, from ground zero. Um, and, then, and then he long since drifted off. And then I was left just trying to find gigs. And I was up, the fortunate thing was I was on the dole at the time. So you, you've got nothing to lose. You know what I mean? Mm. To lose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So obviously you continue with them, you know, is it difficult? I mean, writing your own material, is it, is it, ob- is it observational comedy that you, you were looking at? You know, what, 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 what kind of comedy were you doing or just alternate? Well, it was um, just a blank canvas really. And, and the, the advantage was, uh, Steve, is like, I was never really a fan of stand up as such. 
um, myself. I didn't know. You, you get a lot of people on the circuit who, um, they're, they're, they're like um, connoisseurs. They're very like, it's almost they've done a degree in it. They know all about the history of it and American comedians and the history of stand-up and, uh, you know, it's development over the years and the watch documentaries and read books. But I didn't really know anything about it. I used to like Monty Python. My dad got us into that. My dad like Tommy Cooper and, um, and, and things like um, Benny Hill and um, uh, stuff like that. And he, and he yeah. told us about them. So I just came from it from that kind of angle, you know, and Les Dawson and stuff. So just to try to write jokes, like then try to like um, go around write sort of jokes, you know, like, you know, like he used to have the, my mother-in-law is so fat or the, the town where I come from is so rough. Diddle, diddle, diddle. So I was thinking, well, I'll write some of them on your own, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the area where I have is so rough, such and such, and try to make them as ridiculous and surreal as possible. And, and, and if you're going to do observations, just think of, think of things you know, think of alternate observations. Just think of anything you could do that you thought was funny. And the good thing is, when, when you've got a blank canvas like that, you don't, you're not sort of saying, oh, that's a bit like this person or a bit like that person. You just go go for it. And as I say, I was on the duel at the time. And um, and in those gigs, it's not like the working men's clubs where you would have to get a laugh, otherwise you get paid off. There's all these kind of alternative gigs run by... Um, misfits and weirdos and sort of hippies and um feminist women which is quite good as well because it teaches you straight away to know that there's different worlds out there you're not just playing to one lot and another you know um uh and then but then you play at the public who are just normal joes so we're just going tell us a joke mate you know um back in the day people didn't understand about observations they thought like you had to hear jokes so in a way it was a perfect storm really it's a good grounding in the 90s to suddenly start from a blank canvas and just invent your own style. And it's been quite good because a lot of people have been very kind over the years and say that being influential to what they do. But I didn't have anybody to go off. I did, there was no, there was no, um, there's only like Bobby Thompson and people like that from the past. There was nobody to go off to like try and sort of be like them as such. You just, you just went for it, you know. Um, has has it become more difficult in the industry with the world becoming more PC? I mean, even even this morning, I'm seeing people debating last night at the proms. You know, they're they're not they're yeah. not going to allow anybody to sing "Land of Hope and Glory" because it's offensive and it refers to the old days of slavery. So, you know, it, PC world has it gone mad with you know top top quality comedy from the 70s um you know being taken off various things like bbc iPlayer because you know it might have you know some offensive you know words in it about a certain race it's it must make comedy difficult well they, yeah um well to go back to what i was saying before like um <clears throat> feminist women used to run gigs and i remember a couple of them and, and they ran them and they would pull you up on things you said back in the day but it's nothing like now. I mean, if you yeah. look back now, they're really, really, um, they, 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 they're really diplomatic and, and um, quite male. They were just saying, look, you can't be really, you can't, you can't say horrific things about women or whatever. Um, and you look back and they were right, you know, you, because you don't, you, don't, you don't make yourself charming. If you, do, you don't, oh, that's not really the right way of putting it. You, you look like a horrible person if you're just ranting and raving about people. If you look back at the 70s, for example, alleged racist jokes and all that it's not done from a position of hatred it's just done from like an observation or a or a um or a joke you can tell you can tell hatred can't you from from somebody who's just telling a joke um and i think now 
a lot of, I mean, God, we could just, we could debate this all night, like, but a lot of people, I think, find offence because they want to find offence and they don't really know what they're offended about. And yeah. sometimes it comes from a lot of people, a lot of white middle class people who've never struggled in the first place, you know, and tell you what you should and shouldn't say to a, to a certain group of people. I mean, when you think about it, where, 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 white working class people from the 80s on Tyneside where there was no jobs and we had no hope so we're not exactly from an elitist group or uh, you know when people talk about yeah, white privilege I mean you think what's that you know you brought up in Dunstan in the, in the late 80s where there was no jobs come on you know like we're talk hardly privileged do you know what I mean now I, mean, I think that's uh, but as I say we're going to talk about this for a, a long we could, I we could. It, 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 I've got to be honest. It does my head in, like um, all of this PC stuff. But you know, if you start going on about it, you, you know, you mention it on social media, you just get barraged, and you know, you get labelled as, as something. And it, it, social media definitely doesn't help. Give us, give us, um, give us your toughest crowd. What was the toughest crowd you played in front of? Well, um, you know, like like all comics, we've all died. You know what I mean? I've done. I think I've done about. Estimate about seven or eight thousand gigs in my career, and wow. uh, so about died at some of them. I mean, most of the time you just do all right, and then you you know there may be there may be a hundred where you had such a phenomenal time it was it was uh, it was it was through the roof, and then you might have a hundred where you really struggled and 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 you know went off to your own footsteps. But the ones I can remember once dying horrifically, and it was just after the nineteen ninety eight cup final because there was loads of Arsenal fans in. I died at a snooker club in Hatfield in Hertfordshire. I've always called it Shatfield since. And, but then I met, I met some people years later from, I think they call it Flitwick. It's pronounced Flitwick. Uh, sorry, pronounced Flitwick. It's, it's, it spells Flitwick down in Hertfordshire. And they, they says it's all right because we call it, everybody down there calls it Hatefield. It's just one of them horrible little towns, you know, nasty edge towns and, there was, it was, I always remember a bloke called Harry who ran it. He called himself H. That's, what, that's the sort of wanker he was. And he just, um, they didn't give me a chance. They just were chanting stuff about Vieira and everything when they, they, they won the uh, cup. But, like, they didn't understand what I was doing. They didn't, they didn't give me a minute to, 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 you know, to establish myself. And I've always hated the place since. And that was a horrible death. And I've had, yeah, I've had some pretty bad times. I've had times where people have sent private messages on email saying how... How you've got the cheek to be paid after that? I always remember that one after a night in Wales. Um, you know, what do you mean? How about I've got the cheek to be paid? I've, I've looked back and like you know when you when people shouted at footballers in the eighties saying how they've got the cheek to pick up their wages after that. You think, come on, mate. You know they're doing a yeah. job. Um, and um, there's been there's been many nights like that. And think think that's a bad one. A one in the northeast where I did badly um, was at uh, the cricket club in Anfield Plain. Uh, I always remember that one. Um, I was on with Peter Beardsley, funny enough, and uh, he he went on and did. It was in a weird place. There was pillars everywhere, and he stood up at the end of a table. It was what it was a dinner, you know, and uh, he did his thing there. And I thought that's really weird that and people got to like look round the Maybe corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and because like, um, you'll have been at these dinners and probably hosted yeah. them, and them and all that. And, some of them are really good, as you know. Some of them are all right. You just get your, you just do your thing and, and go. Um, some of them are fantastic, but like this one, everybody's arcing around the corner to see him. He did it. He, he did all right. I mean, you know, and I Peter, and he, 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 he be admit himself, he, he did all right. Didn't do amazing. Um, and then they, they, they got me on, and I thought, I'm, I'll, this is a mistake I made, by the way. 
I'll not stand where everybody's, you know, looking around the corner. I'll go yeah. at the bar and do it so people can see us. And I think it took the focal point away. And, you know, it's all psychology, this Steve. There's, there's a tiny bit of them thinking, who the fuck does he think he is? He's got the bar to try and do it rather than just stand where he was. And they just never got into it um, from the from the, the moment I opened my mouth. And uh, it's one of the few times in all the 8,000 gigs where it just went, it didn't work out tonight. Uh, and uh, I still got my money though. I was always, yeah. I should remember that. You still go and you still, I still went. There's loads of comics I know that went, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even think, I, I, I couldn't go up and get paid. I, I just felt so ashamed. You think, no, no, you don't do that. I still went up, I remember the end of the night and I'm still proud of that, that you know, the age you get to, we say, could I have my money please? Because, you know, you go, no, I'm still, I still did me thing and I still did me time. Um, but yeah, yeah exactly. You know. Exactly. What, What's your best one then? There must be a must be a one which really stands out. Your you know your 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 biggest gig maybe, or you know your biggest crowd, or was it a was it a particular reaction where you know you just had a great night all around? Is there one that stands out? No, not really. I don't I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I can't think. Um, I've done one man shows in the Tame Theatre, and they've been legendary nights, you know. And I used to do them in the live theatre back in the day. Uh, one man shows in the Tame Theatre have been really good, and. Um, there was, um, I did a weekend once in the late 90s in uh, the Hyena Cafe when it was first downstairs. I don't know if you remember it in them days. Yeah. Downstairs at the Hyena Cafe. And it was a weekend I did with, with, with Johnny Vegas and a fella called Anthony King. And um, Johnny Vegas was just coming through at the time. And uh, he, um, we did the Friday and Saturday and the Friday was terrific and the Saturday was terrific. But I remember he, he um, had a ukulele. He used to play songs on the ukulele, just short, quick, sort of sweary type songs. And then he he, he came on at the end. And you, as, you, as you know, Johnny Vegas has got an awful voice, but it's the whole, you know, it's the, the idea of him getting up and being pissed and everything. That's the that's the the attraction. It's not like the quality of his voice. So he got he got up and he did a he did an encore of um, American Pie at the end. And he says, "Would you like to accompany me on the?" within the song with the ukulele and I did and it was awful it was massively out of tune but it was one of them moments it was like I suppose they like watching the Sex Pistols it was it was a great moment and everybody was into it and then the next night Anthony King I don't suppose he watches this he was a bit pissed off that he missed out on this encore so he said the next day he says right I've brought me guitar so we can all do the encore together and it just it wasn't the same you know what I mean because it was all engineered and he walked on <laughs> With his guitar, with a strap on, and, he, and he'd learn, he'd learn the chords and everything. And the, if you can understand what I mean, the moment's gone. It was the chaos and the brilliance of that night that you didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm sure people walked away and went, "That was just great." I don't know what the fuck happened there. But then on the Saturday, it just looked all organised and uh, taught us a big lesson. That one, you know what I mean? I uh, will do. Yeah, that's a great story. Um... I could talk about the comedy all day. Um, give it, give a shout for your website before we get on to the, the, the non-league stuff. Where, where can people find you? Where can people, you know, contact you, the book, yeah, etc. Well, I've got my website is uh, gavinwebster.co.uk. Um, I do a live podcast on Saturday night, wherever I am, where I'm gigging or, or um, I, you know, when I went before lockdown, I would stop the car and I would do this at midnight called the comedy results. And I do yeah. comedy results where, where pe- comedians ring in and tell us how their gigs have gone and punters ring in and tell us what the gigs they have seen. It's a bit like sports report on Five Live. You know, it's the comedy results. And it's 12 midnight till 2 in the morning every Saturday. And that is on mixlr.com slash Gavin Webster. 
that's a good one to catch me on. I'll get the link off you that, and I'll uh, stick that down in the, uh, the the box below so people can uh, click on that. Makes it easy for you. So I'll get that off you. Um, fantastic, mate. And you also do the the football show, which um, which I've been uh, one, I think, over over the course of time. But um, you've had some great guests on there down at the stand. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, well, that was well as my first um, football and hero was Mickey Burns, and there was a free night at the stand, and it was. A, just next to Burns night, so we decided to have a Mickey Burns night, and we thought, right, we'll, we'll invite Mickey, but he didn't want to come, and put uh, he lives in Lancashire or something in there, but he let he sent a nice letter, and uh, we um, we thought, well, we'll we'll we kind of just talk with Mickey Burns for two hours, so we just um, we got a guest on, we got um, Dave Johns, um, comedian and actor, to do stuff, and then we got a hold of Ron McGarry and Dave Hilly, and they came on and talked about their, their football life, and then we did a few jokes, and then then after it was a success, so we just carried it on. We call it the football show for four years, and it's every month, and you know that's up and down. Depends what guests you've got on. You'll know about this, Steve. Some some people can just talk for Britain, and then other people are a bit more um, a bit more quiet. But we've had all sorts of people on, not just. Not just um, ex-pros, we've had, um, you know, different people from the world of show business and football directors and, uh, you know, we've had um, the captain of Wall's End Boys Club women's team and uh, all sorts of people. Referees, obviously, they figure highly. And uh, so we, we, do, we do that. We have, um, you know, pictures and videos up. So it's a proper bit of sat- football satire at the top, you know, jokes about what's been going on in football that week and then... Uh, then we get the guests on, but uh, obviously it's having a bit of a hiatus at the moment because there's no um, there's no uh, live gigs allowed. So, what's the situation? What's the situation with the stand? And because it, I suppose it's like every other venue, you know, in and around Newcastle at the minute. Obviously, standing still, you know, waiting, waiting to open. Is it is it going to yeah. cope all right financially? Are they doing anything to try and keep themselves afloat? They're in a bit of bother at the moment, you know, because it's well publicised. Um, so they're hoping for a grant because the other two uh, stand venues are in Scotland or in Glasgow and Edinburgh, and uh, they're hoping to uh, they're hoping to uh, get a rescue package together to sort that out. And of course, in Newcastle, they were playing gigs on the mezzanine on the outside area in the last few weeks. Uh, but they're, they're back at the weekend. They're back this weekend, actually. Um, the weekend of what August the twenty eighth. Um, they're um, doing gigs downstairs, but it's to reduce capacity. Um, yeah. So everywhere, everywhere's suffering, as you know. Uh, hopefully they can get out of this and uh, carry on, because I don't know what I'd do without the stand. It's a great local venue. Yeah, well, uh, you know, get get on and, and try and get to those gigs. Anybody who's watching, and you know, you've got to support these venues when they reopen because you know, if you don't, we're gonna we're gonna lose them, which would be a, a tragedy. I want to finish off uh, with non-league. Um, obviously, I'm a I'm on the Dunstan committee, and uh, you know, been been involved with them for the last few years. Thoroughly enjoyed it. The ups and downs of non-league football. You're involved at Heaton Stan commercial manager there so tell us a little bit about the football club and um you know give it give us a bit of give us a bit of spiel give it use this opportunity to promote heat and stand really yeah um it's a football club that's been around over 100 years now but 110 years and uh i think there's this um they've had a few different uh grounds and then eventually they, they, they settled in what is now groundsell park which is newton park which is up at the top top end of high heaton you know and then near south gosforth and it's um was a former quarry and as a, as a, as a football club they've, they've had their ups and downs over the years you know just circumstances as 
prevented them getting promoted than than they've been in different leagues. But in the, in recent years, the last sort of ten years, they've got new they've got a newish management team together. Got the football side together, and they they won the Alliance League and got into the Northern League, and um, they've been in the Northern League second division ever since. But as a football club, um, they've organically grown with crowds. Um, the crowds have got better. And it's one of the highest supported clubs in the second division, if not the highest, because obviously the, the ones that have had the highest uh, crowds, you know this with Dunstan, have gone to the higher leagues. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, Dunstan's a great model, because I think, uh, you know, without uh, making you blush here, they've always said in meetings that the... Um, a lot of the a lot of the committee at Teton have said Dunstan's the model we always want to where uh, you know we want to attain you know that that's that's the wow. one where we always look at because it you know there's right and wrong ways of doing it isn't there and, and some non-league teams have grown so well and obviously I think with the with the um, oh what's maybe the 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 apathy of what's gone on at Newcastle in the last yeah. thirty years people just seem to be going nowhere. That people have gone to local clubs and local clubs have done well out of it. Now, I'm, personally speaking, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I know you are as well because uh, we touched on Gates and I'm a fan of all the, the local clubs. Yeah. In the, I'd like to think the North East could be a force. It's a shame because as, as an area, we've produced not only the five or six world-class players that you could rattle off easily or more in the last uh, 40, 50 years, but the production line, it's a bit like Scotland, the production line of uh, you know, very good players, good players, average players, you know, just the journeymen, the, the conveyor belt of terrific footballers that have come from this area. It's a shame we don't have clubs beyond the sort of three big clubs in the northeast in the league. There's no Hartley Pool and Darlington in the league these days. You know, it's it's a it's a crying shame and it, and I think long may it continue, you know, the 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 um the bottom end, you know, the the um the kitchen sink like if you like of, of football we, we need we need these clubs to grow don't we yeah no we do so I mean with with Heaton Stan obviously we've had the news same as Dunstan really that you know supporters are allowed in um, yeah. you know minimal minimal supporters at this moment in time anyway but at least it's something um, yeah. you know when, when it does eventually get back to normal what, what's the cost of a season ticket for, for Heaton Stan and, and or how much does it cost just to pay and come and watch a game Seventy-five pound a season ticket. It's um, it's five pounds a game. I think it's a bit more uh, higher up you go, but it's five pounds, and uh, you can but you can do lots of things to help. You can sponsor a match ball, you know, all those things. As you know, you can get your name in the program, and um, you can even just um, go at the game. Even if you're not very interested, you can go and drink in the bar. That'll that all helps, you know. Um, it, every every little helps. But you'll see it. You'll see good football, as you know this, Steve. You you, you see proper tackling and. Great. Uh, yeah, it's proper good stuff. It's it's like it's almost from yesteryear, but it's a proper good game. It's the nuts and bolts of football. It's the mm-hmm. it's the, the the cool face, and it's it's a terrific it's a terrific thing to to watch. It. I'd 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 recommend it to anybody not not just to come to Heaton Stand if you're in the area. Go and find your find your local club and and follow them and uh, keep giving them support because uh, they're part of the community as well, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I've been to Heaton Stand, uh, you know, back back in the day with Dunstan. It's, it's a, you know, like a lot of these places, it's a welcoming club. You know, you mm-hmm. always have a good time. And you see, and, and as you say, it's good. It's good to watch a game of football, which you know yeah. hasn't got all the 
you know, the showbiz of like the Premier League. It, yeah. it, it, it's just refreshing. You go, you can smell the grass. You can, you know, you see, you see, you see the see proper challenges. Um, you have a bit banter with a liner and the referee. There's always hmm. somebody in the crowd who you can hear with it. There's always somebody who comes up with a quip. It's, it's like, it's, it's what football was when we started watching it absolutely. back in the 70s and 80s, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, you're bang on with that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, you get a chance to get along the heat and stand or Dunstan, please do. Um, as I say, once once the COVID restrictions lift, um, and and get on to Gavin's website. Um, you know, as I say, he's still doing his podcast, which is great, and I'm sure that the stand will. You'll, you know, you'll be back on. Is is there any live gigs for you there coming up? Is there, is the one yeah. that you want to promote? Fourth uh, and fifth of September, I think that's what it is. On fourth um, and fifth of September at the stand, but I'm I'm back there with a the full bill. Um, and I'm at the Team Theatre next year, 5th of March. 5th of March, I'm at the Team Theatre doing a one-man show. So it'd be great if you could come and uh, come and watch that. Um, uh, that's live to actual people, which is the title of the show. Gavin Webster plays live to actual people. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah, does what it says in the tin. Hopefully that'll be um, full of people and uh, we can, uh, it'll be all new stuff. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Finally, look ahead the next season. Newcastle United. Let's 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 imagine that the takeover doesn't go through. Um, mm. Let's be realistic at this moment in time. Um, we've signed Hendricks, not Jimmy. Um, we've signed uh, Mark Gillespie, another goalkeeper, and we've yeah. signed. Um, you know, it looks as if we're probably going to be in the market for for more loan buys. Um, yeah. We we desperately need a centre forward. Uh, you know, what's what's your view? Moving forward, do you think Newcastle's got enough in that squad at the moment to to, to keep us up? <laughs> it's a depressing conversation, this isn't it? Um, it is. You can finish with a joke, Gavin. So we'll not finish <laughs> on a depression. So I'll give you time to think of a joke. We'll we'll finish on a joke. We'll finish on a high. Oh man, um, the um, I, I I think going back to Steve Bruce, I think he's got enough in him to probably keep keep us up. Because he's he's used to having squads like that, and I think yeah, uh, I think we probably will. I, I thought we would go down last season, but we, we didn't. We pulled it together and we stayed up. And I think I think we might just have it enough in us to stay up. But that's that's it. I don't think we're going to do any more than that. Yeah, Measure. I would agree. I would agree, mate. I've got to be honest. I think. Um... I, you know, I thought Newcastle would go down last season. I wasn't happy with Bruce at all after coming from Rafa. Um, you know, I'm not talking about the, the quality of football. I'm just literally talking about Rafa gave us hope. You know, you expected yeah. you expected to stay up with Rafa at the helm, but with Steve Bruce, I've, I just shook my head and I couldn't believe it. But yeah, I'm the same as you. I, I I trust Bruce a little bit in the transfer window to to be able to bring in players on this kind of zero budget. Um, yeah. But I just hope the takeover goes through. I really do. The takeover goes through. You know, it's not going to be, Rome's not built in a day, but at least we'll have our hope back and we'll have our club back from from Ashley, you know. So, so fingers crossed. Um, yeah. Go on. I'll put you on the spot a little bit, but, you know, any any is there a joke you could finish off with? It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be football related, but... Um. God, uh, I'll do. Um, shall I tell you the first joke I ever wrote? Yes, yes, do that. And this used to get um, big laughs, actually. Ah, no pressure. <laughs> Is um, I used to say, uh, my mother, she's just had a hysterectomy. She thinks it gives a license to sit in her house all day and order me about. I don't know. She's bloody uteruseless. That <laughs> <laughs> That's the first, the first one, one you wrote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 
People at the time say you can't, you know, the people that run BBC say that. cannot say that. You can it's, it's weird, isn't it? It's come from the and you cannot say that. I says, why? I said, because, you know, you're, you're making light of history. <laughs> well, it's just a joke. It's play on words, but work really well. So there you go. It's a lesson for somebody. I don't know. It's a, it's a cracker. It's a cracker. <laughs> Great stuff, mate. Actually, listen, could speak to you all day, Gavin. Really appreciate, really appreciate you coming on. Best of luck with the shows um, at the stand and then, of course, at the Tain Theatre next year. Hope, hopefully, I'll be able to get along to one. And, um, and thanks yeah, as well for, 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 you know, always being there for the charity football games. You've played in the Pav Cup a couple of times as well, which oh, is great. Pleasure. So, uh, big, thanks, big thanks to you for coming on, mate, and uh, best of luck with everything you do. Oh, likewise, mate. Great to talk to you, Steve. Cheers, man. Thanks.